If God called you to plant a new church, what would you call it? Back in 2002, Tara, my wife, and I left Denton, Texas. We moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and we went through a church planting residency. Fellowship Bible Church of Little Rock had a church planting residency. We trained there for a number of months and then went to plant a new church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. We were there for six years, 2002 to 2008. Uh, When we planted the church along with some friends, we did have to wonder, what are we going to call it? At the same time, it was pretty easy. There was so much history in the state of Arkansas and influence with Fellowship Bible Church of Little Rock, it was easy to simply call it Fellowship Bible Church of Jonesboro. If I had to go plant a new church today... I'm not so sure what I'd call it. Have you ever noticed churches with the name Berean in them? Here in Houston, there's at least a few. Berean Baptist Church, Berean Missionary Baptist Church, Berean Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's Berean Christian Academy. Up in Dallas, there's Berean Bible Fellowship Church, Berean Memorial Church. There's another Berean Christian Academy there. In San Antonio, there's Fellowship Berean Church. If you're familiar with the New Testament, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you probably know why so many churches call themselves Berean Church. But maybe... If you're unfamiliar with the New Testament or unfamiliar with the book of Acts, you're you're not so sure at all. Why are so many churches calling themselves by this name? I want to show you a text in Scripture this morning, and it will just jump off the page why they would do so. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, grab your phone or any other device you might have with you. And pull up Acts chapter 17. We're studying through the book of Acts, and we are into Paul's second missionary journey. Caleb, why don't you throw up slide number 13 up there. This missionary journey started over in Antioch. They revisited the church in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian Antioch. They wanted to go further west. The Lord said no. They turned north. The Lord said no. They came further west to Troas, and that's where Paul received the Macedonian call, come over here and help us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke left Troas, and a few weeks ago we saw where they went to Philippi and planted a church, led Lydia to faith and the slave girl to faith and the Philippian jailer and his family to faith. A church was planted there. Last week we saw they went a little further west to Thessalonica, and there they planted another church as Paul persuaded them about the Christ who was to suffer, that indeed Jesus was the Messiah, the suffering servant, and the reigning king. And This morning we're going to look, as they go a little bit further west and to the south, to this town called Berea. You can watch it. It'll jump right off the page. Why? So many churches would say, let's call ourselves Bereans. 
Verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So apparently, Timothy and Luke may have stayed back a bit. Immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Again, that was Paul's modus operandi. Whenever he could, whenever there was a gathering of Jews in a synagogue, he would go there first. In verse 11, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. These were more noble-minded. They received the word, great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. This is a legacy of 2,000 years. These Bereans, who when the word of God came to them, they weren't like, as Luke tells us, the the Thessalonians. There was great opposition to the word of God in Thessalonica. Surely there were some who believed. We know that from verse 4. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Verse 5, but the Jews, this is in Thessalonica, becoming jealous and taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacking the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. That's the flavor you get of unbelief in Thessalonica. But you don't really see that here in Berea. What you see is a desire for, an openness to, a humility towards the Word of God. Let's call ourselves Berean Baptist Church. Berean Missionary Baptist Church. Berean Christian Academy. Let's follow in the footsteps of these wonderful, noble-minded people who said the Bible is going to be our treasure. Handful of things to say about this this morning. Number one, by God's grace, let's you and I reassert the Bible as a priority in our lives. You can keep a finger here, but if not, we, you can come back to it later. But I want to show you a handful of verses that have meant much to me over the years. Go far to the right, almost to the end, to 1 Peter. If you hit the book of Revelation, you've obviously gone too far. And just start working back to your left to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is the Apostle Peter. He's writing to Christians scattered about. Actually, they're scattered all throughout Asia Minor. We would call it, it's modern day Turkey. He's writing to Christian congregations there. These Christians are going through hardship and and the like, and he's encouraging them to be faithful and 
all sorts of things, but in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, all of those things are very unloving things. And he had just told them up in chapter 1, verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And so let's put aside malice and let's put aside deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then verse 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I quoted Howard Hendricks earlier. He was a longtime favorite of so many of us at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was famous for teaching Bible study methods. And he was famous for teaching us this passage. And he always had three words to sum it up. The first was attitude. That the attitude that you and I should bring to the Scriptures is there in verse 2, like newborn babes. Mamas, how do newborn babes long for pure milk? With a great attitude, right? With a great attitude. There's no bad attitudes when it comes to wanting some food. They are eager. And not only attitude, but appetite. So the attitude is like a newborn babe. And the appetite is long for the pure milk of the word. Long for it. Desire it. And then aim so that so that by it the pure milk of the word of God you may grow in respect to salvation. Grow. Move on. Mature. So Prof would ask us, what's your attitude towards the Word of God? How's your appetite for the Word of God? What's your aim when you come to the Word of God? Another one, Favorite passage of mine is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So keep going back to your left there, a handful of books. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This Paul is in prison for the last time. He is soon to die, and he's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he's urging Timothy to do a number of things. One of them is to come to him as quickly as he can. He wants to see Timothy before he dies. But maybe more than that, he's urging Timothy to courage and to faithfulness. In chapter 1, he urges him, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the sake of the gospel. A few verses later, he says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him 
until that day. And a few verses later, he says, Onesiphorus was not ashamed. And a few verses later, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. And in chapter 2, he urges him towards faithfulness. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then he gives six images for how to do that. Be like a soldier, be like a farmer, be like an athlete, be like a workman, be like a clean vessel, and be like the Lord's bondservant. And then in chapter 3, I think he may be urging him to consistency, or maybe we need an even stronger word than that that I'm not so sure of, but I think the background of chapter 3 is maybe Timothy is procrastinating a bit. Things are getting hot and heavy in Ephesus where Timothy is. And maybe he's thinking, you know what, if I'll just lay low for a bit, things will get easier, and then I'll continue on. And Paul in chapter 3, verse 1, realized this, in the last days, difficult times will come. It's not going to get any easier. Timothy in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You can't wait it out, Timothy. You and I can't put faithfulness off until a later date. Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from childhood you've known the sacred writings. So continue. Continue in what? The sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you and I want to grow, we need to be men and women who long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it we might grow. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you and I want to be equipped for every good work, then we need to be men and women of the Scriptures, the sacred writings, for they teach us and reprove us and correct us and train us that we would be fully equipped for all that God has for us. Another of my favorites, back in the Old Testament, Psalm 119. If you're familiar with that psalm, don't worry. We're not going to go through every verse. Trivia question, what's the longest chapter in the Bible? Answer, Psalm 119. It's an interesting psalm. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and the psalmist makes his way through the Hebrew alphabet. He gives eight verses to each letter. And so if you're there, verses 1 to 8, there's probably a little title above it called Aleph. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And every verse, the first word, starts with the letter Aleph. And then in verse 9, Beit. Verse 17 and following, Gimel and the like. And literally... 
176 verses long. I think the count is 172 of them refer in one way or another to the Word of God. Just to show you an example, verse 1. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. That's eight verses. He goes on for 176 verses. And throughout, he shows his love for the Word of God, his longing for the Word of God, his desire to learn the Word of God, to linger over the Word of God. But here's one. His leaning into the Word of God. And so as I've thought about this this week, First Peter 2 is if you and I want to grow, Long for the pure milk of the Word. 2 Timothy 3, if you and I want to be fully equipped for all that God has for us, continue in the sacred writings. If you and I want to survive, life can be hard, can't it? Here's just a couple in verse 25 of Psalm 119. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 107, I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. cleaving to the dust. He's weeping because of grief. He's exceedingly afflicted. And he's looking to God's Word to be that which would revive him and strengthen him. Where do you go? Where do you go to grow spiritually? Where do you go to be equipped for all God has for you? Where do you go to be revived in your soul, to be strengthened when life gets hard. So the first thing we said is to reassert the Bible as a priority in our lives. I used to have this memorized, but it's a pretty stinging paragraph. Uh, This is from the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was a preacher um, in England and back in the 1800s. Many refer to him as the prince of preachers. He was preaching a sermon called the Bible. He said, if this be the word of God, what will become of some of you who have not read it in the last month? Month, sir. I've not read it for this year. 
Ah, there are some of you who have not read it at all. Most people treat the Bible very politely. They have a small pocket volume, neatly bound. They put a white pocket handkerchief around it and carry it to their places of worship. When they get home, they lay it up in a drawer until next Sunday morning. Then it comes out for a little bit of treat and goes to chapel. That is all the poor Bible gets in the way of an airing. That is your style of entertaining this heavenly messenger. There is enough dust, you could hear him, there's enough dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Yikes. There's some of you who think, or there are some of you who have not turned over your Bibles for a long, long, long while, and what think you? I tell you blunt words, but true words. What will God say at last when you shall come before him and he, say, he shall say, did you read my Bible? No. I wrote you a letter of mercy. Did you read it? No. He goes on, oh, let it not be so with you. Be Bible readers. Be Bible searchers. I love that he calls this a letter of mercy. If you were here a few weeks ago, I... When we were in chapter, Acts chapter 15, he said, you know, if you had to sum up the Bible in one word, what would it be? And is it law? Is it rules? Is it rungs that we have to jump through? And my answer was no, no, no. Grace. Friends, this book is a letter of mercy to us. It's a book of grace. It's the book of God. And our God is a God, of we sang, of mercy and of grace and of love and of kindness. It's here where we can grow. It's here where we can be equipped. It's here where we can survive, be strengthened, and revived in our souls. Number two, I learned this years ago. I think it might be helpful to some of us. How do you get a grip on your Bible? How do you get a grip on the Bible? Now, this is just a quick overview, and it would take a lot, but the old illustration is if you want to get a good grip on your Bible, how do you do it? Number one, you've got to hear it. And what we mean when we say hear it means to, to put yourself in a local church that, that honors and loves and preaches and teaches the Word of God. And I like to think that you think that maybe you found one here at Redeemer. You hear it, and of course with all of the tools today online, and you can listen to the Bible being read to you. Secondly, though, you can't get a good grip on your Bible by just hearing it. You've you got to read it for yourself, and, and what an absolute treasure it is that you and I can hold a Bible in our hands and open it and read it or even on our phone, pull it up at any time, anywhere, especially when we watch what Greg and Beth Ann are up against in places like Vanuatu, where people do not have the Word of God. But even then, to hear and, and read, you, you can't get a good grip on your Bible. The third one, they would say, is to study. So what's the difference between reading and studying? I always say three Ps. Paper, pen, and pace. Right? If you sit down for 30 minutes just to read through the book of Ephesians, awesome. You ought to do it this afternoon. 
But then if you were going to study, get out a piece of paper, get out a pen, and instead of spending 30 minutes to read the entire book of Ephesians, you spend 30 minutes just staring at verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And you read through them, and then you read through them again, and you read through them again, and you just stare at those 10 verses, and you look for repeated words and key words that kind of flow the argument like therefore and but and since and the like. You think about it and you meditate on it and you pray about it. That's the difference between reading and studying. Even then though, you can't get a good grip. The fourth is you memorize. You memorize key verses or pertinent passages or maybe even whole chapters or books of the Bible. Do you memorize Scripture at all? I would encourage you, if you don't, to do so. Psalm 119, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's treasured it in his heart. He's laid it up in his heart. There are tremendous tools out there to help you with Scripture memory. And again, you're not a dog, and this is not a trick. Some of you are thinking, oh, Mitch, I'm too old to memorize anything. Not true. Even then, though, you can't get a good grip. Meditate. They put meditate on the thumb because it's the one that can touch all the rest. Meditate is not the idea of emptying your mind of truth. Biblically, meditation is filling your mind with truth. I think one of the old illustrations is still one of the best illustrations. It is a cow chewing its cud. How many of y'all grew up on a farm? Not many of us city slickers, right? But have you ever driven by and seen a cow sitting under a shade tree doing this? And you're going, what is he doing? He's chewing the cud. And what he did was he ate, and then he threw it back up into his mouth, and then he's chewing on it over and over and over again. He's chewing the cud. And why is he doing it? He's trying to get every bit of nutrient out of it that he can. Biblical meditation is thinking on and pondering on and lingering over and praying through what you hear, what you read, what you study, what you memorize. Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whatever he does, he prospers. Joshua was, was told, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Whenever you and I hear and read and study and memorize and meditate, now we can get a good grip on our Bible. Now listen, one of the guys that discipled me in college, his name was James Skinner, and he used to say, Mitch, Yard by yard, life is hard. 
inch by inch, life's a cinch. The idea of just a little bit every day. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. You can hear the word of God. You come to church. You go to a community group. You can read the word of God. You have one in your hand. You can study the word of God. Get out a pen and get out some paper and slow down. And if you want some help, come visit with me and we can talk about some tools for how to study the Bible. You can memorize Scripture. And you can meditate. You can take some time just with you and God and the Word to pray, to think, to ponder. And you can do that regularly for the rest of your life. When you do, when I do, we can get a good grip on your Bible. So number one, reassert it to a priority in your life. If you want to grow, if you want to be equipped, if you want to survive, get a grip on it. Third, if you don't already, I would just encourage you, bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church. Especially if you're fairly new here, this is your first day here, maybe you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. And if you come next week and don't bring, you can come back forever and don't bring your Bible, that's okay. But we open the Bible here. Whether it's in our Sunday school classes or in this pulpit, we love the Scriptures. We believe that it's God's Word for us, and that's why we say, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 17. Turn over to 1 Peter. You said, Mitch, what do you hope to be the distinctive sound of Sunday mornings at Redeemer, I think it'd probably be threefold. One would be chatter in the foyer. I love it when people are out in the foyer and just talking and seeing each other. So chatter would be one. Another distinctive sound of Redeemer, I hope, is the heartfelt singing of God's people. That when Mark and the team lead us, that we sing to the Lord. And then third, that. That the rustling of the pages of Scripture would be one of the distinctive sounds of this place. The Bereans were noble-minded. As Paul was coming to them and he was proclaiming to them that Jesus was the Messiah, no doubt he was proclaiming the same sort of thing he had proclaimed in Thessalonica just earlier. In verse 2, back in Acts 17, for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again. And these brothers and sisters were getting out their copies there at the synagogue of the Old Testament Scriptures and looking and talking and thinking, is indeed this Jesus whom he proclaims, who he sang suffered and rose again, is he indeed the one we've been waiting for? And they're rustling back through. and Paul's talking to them and they are 
examining the Scriptures. So maybe that would be number four. Let you and I, and I say you, judge all that you hear and read and watch by the Bible in the community of faith. There is spiritual information readily at hand everywhere, isn't there? Online, podcasts, sermons, books, radio. It's just everywhere. Me preaching at you. And what's noble-minded about these brothers and sisters is that they just didn't take it at face value. They judged what Paul was saying by Scripture. And so I hope that all that I do here is, is some, you know, I was thinking about this, just picturing in my mind how sad it would be if all that happened with your head as you watched me was just it stayed centered on me. As opposed to looking at me and listening and then back here. Back here. And back here. Right? Is what I'm saying or Matt Williamson saying or Mark Wells saying or the book that you're reading or the preacher you're listening to. Does it align with Scripture. Elizabeth Elliot, the great missionary wife of Jim Elliot, the Word of God I think of as a straight edge which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. She saw this as her plumb line by which she judged her own life and probably all that she heard. So let's be the blessed like the blessed Bereans. Just quickly, we'll show you that how it turned out for them. Verse 12, Therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out, uh-oh, that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Real quick, we've got a couple of minutes Let's just get real practical. If this is not part of your life, let me give you an assignment if you're willing to take it. So we, we've just seen Paul plant the church in Thessalonica. And if you were here last week, we even turned over to the book of 1 Thessalonians that Paul would soon write. He actually would leave Thessalonica, come to Berea, which we just saw, and then he would come down to Athens, which we just saw. And from Athens, he wanted to get back up to Thessalonica, but he couldn't, if you remember that from last week. And so he sent Timothy to go see how they were doing up in Thessalonica. And he told Timothy, come, go see how they're doing, and then meet me in Corinth. And so Paul will then 
go from Berea down to Athens and down to Corinth, and Timothy will come to him and give him a report. And in light of that report on how the Thessalonians were doing, Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. It's five chapters long. Maybe you're out there and you've never read an entire book of the Bible in your life. This afternoon, 1 Thessalonians, it's five chapters long, and I call them light chapters. They're short, and you can read through 1 Thessalonians probably in 15, 20 minutes. I dare you. I double dare you. I triple dog dare you. Which you know, if you get triple dog dared, you can't not do it, right? I dare you to read 1 Thessalonians this afternoon. You got to turn off the TV. You got to set the phone in another room. Lock the kids in the closet. (laughs) Sit down in your favorite chair. Open your Bible. Pray. Read and pray as you read. And then when you get done, pray again. And do that every day this week. Read through 1 Thessalonians this afternoon. Wake up tomorrow morning a little bit early and read through it again. Wake up a little bit early on Tuesday and read through it again. Or find whenever you get the time during the week. If you'll read through the the book of 1 Thessalonians every day this week with a prayerful heart, I'm not going to make any promises. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, you'll be blessed. I'm just telling you, you'll be blessed. It's the Word of God. And to a humble child of God who comes to God and says, Lord, I don't know. I, I don't know. Mitch told me to. He triple dog dared me. Lord, would you help me? Would you just be with me in these next several minutes as I read through this book and show me yourself. Show me your goodness and show me your grace. I'm willing to bet he will. I'm willing to bet he will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the legacy of these Bereans. The noble-minded Bereans received the word with eagerness, searched the scriptures. May it be so of us. Thank you for this letter of mercy, the Bible. This book of grace, the Bible. And Father, if there's any here this morning who, who that, for whom that very thought, that the, that, that the book, the Bible, is about mercy, It's about grace. It's about God's love. If for them that is new, oh God, might you shine it into their hearts. Your greatness, your glory, your holiness, their sinfulness, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
but then what you have done in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. You sent him to be the savior of their souls. Help them to see it. And even in this moment, to believe it. To tell you that they are sorry for their sins. To thank you for what you've done in sending your son Jesus to live for them, die for them, rise for them. And then, if they might say to you, please, forgive me and please come into my life. Make me a new kind of person. Be the leader of my life, the the king of my life. Lord, if you would do that now, help them to see with the eyes of faith the glory, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we will pray this in his wonderful and mighty name. Amen.